Hello, fellow travelers, and welcome back to the Adoption Agency. Wow, today's been a, a heck of a day. So I don't know if you can tell, uh, I set my studio up a little different. Uh, welcome to everybody that's, that can make it. I know it's uh, a show that doesn't have a, a regular schedule right now, but uh, we're working on that. It's just there's only so many hours in a day, but I'm making sure that... Uh, get some good quality content out, some informative information. So here we go. So today I'm going to talk to you about un the unbanked. But before I explain what I mean about unbanked people, first I have to explain to you what underbanked people are. So first I'll speak to you what it means to be underbanked. Underbanked, good evening, Ms. Blockchain. Underbanked is more like a blanket term that's used to describe people that do not have traditional banking services or any economic services that included in pensions, um, insured savings accounts, and other advanced financial products. However, they may use alternative financial services such as prepaid cards, a lot of people get by with prepaid cards, you know, working check to check, working day to day, and they deposit a little money to try to make it through life. You know, so prepaid cards help a lot of people that are underbanked. Payday loans, which I don't agree with. I think they're exploitive. A lot of states have had to pass a lot of laws because some of the rates were illegal, like loan sharking rates. So I'm not a big fan of payday loans or any other highly questionable financial instruments. But those are the, the kind of instruments that represent unbanked adults and households. And usually these households, they have a basic, a basic bank account, which means like somebody in the house may have a bank account. So they all try to use their bank account because for one reason or another, they can't qualify or get a bank account of their own. So they're heavily dependent on alternative financial services, you know, and some of these services, they charge exorbitant fees, unreasonable fees, you know. So for a lot of unbanked societies to avoid traditional banks, including inconvenient locations, high fees, personal preferences, distrusted banks, and distrusting their governments. So for them, getting a bank account isn't really something they want to do. And you got to understand, if you if you sell bananas or mangoes or you drive what was considered a, a gypsy cab in New York when I was a kid, they were like a dollar cab that took you from point A to point B on a bus or a subway line, but um, they were a lot faster. So they were a lot a lot more convenient and they were a lot less crowded for some for some you know for some for some lines depending on where you live so a lot of people use these dollar cabs gypsy cabs and in a lot of countries that's how a lot of people make their living today but right? with transportation you know uh moving people from one location to another so those people their income varies a lot depending on the price of fuel what's going on with the economy exchange rates of currencies and most of them don't have the documentation that banks are requiring from them to 
open up a commercial bank account or even a personal bank account. So they are the unbanked. Uh, that doesn't mean that the unbanked aren't super hardworking. Most of them are. Most of them work circles around a lot of people on this planet. right? Because you, you got to understand that working hard should never be equated with making money. A lot of people work plenty hard and they don't make any money. And so there's a lot of unbanked people that really do jobs that most of us would frown upon, although legal, would frown upon because we don't want to do that type of work. But they do that work every day and they get paid. And most of the times they have to go and repurchase. So if you sell mangoes, you got to go back to your, your distributor, your your wholesaler and pick up your fruit, your rice, your staples, whatever it is you sell. If it's electronics, no matter what you sell, you always have to restock your supply. Even if it's bottles of water uh, on the curb, when, when traffic stops, you, know, you have to restock your supply. So they have to keep a certain amount of cash on hand because they don't have the credit to go and get these supplies so that they can continue to maintain their living. They're not asking for government handouts. They're not trying to evade taxes. They just don't fit in perfectly in the system as well as the system would like them to fit in. And they have their reasons why they don't fit in. And also a lot of corporations and governments make it very difficult for them to fit in. So they are the underbanked. They have to deal with a lot of shady services. But I also want you to know that more and more people are becoming unbanked. Most of them not by choice, but by different situations going on in the economy. That you know, just like the whole black swan event or the coronavirus, you know, nobody predicted that. And when it started to happen, the people pretty much didn't have a choice in what was gonna happen with that. You know, there was a lot of debates, there were a lot of deaths, there was a lot of politicking going on, but really no one knew when and where or how the governments individually, you know, apart from the World Health Organization suggestions and the UN suggestions, right, how they were going to individually react because they're sovereign nations. So a lot of different, a lot of different nations did a lot of different things, but Everybody across the planet was definitely affected by coronavirus and that black swan event. So now, moving forward a little bit, we have the whole supply chain issues, as well as the war that's going on in Ukraine and the threats of war with China, you know, and Taiwan. You know, um, whether people are like it or not, uh, the United States chose to go over there. And now, this puts the whole global economy back in a state of tension, a state of unease. And I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that want to invest. But one thing that investors hate is surprises. If it's bad news, investors know how to invest in a bear market. If it's good news, investors know how to invest in a bull market. They know what to do. What they don't like is uncertainty. And that's what a lot of people don't like, right? When, you, when, you, when you're working and you don't know if tomorrow you have to dip further and further into your savings, if you have savings, right? 
further and forward, further into your savings just to subside, just to exist. But nothing that you really purchased or 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 the place that you're renting, all of these things haven't really gone up in value that's uh, been passed on to you. Only thing that's passed on to us, the consumers, the citizen, is the debt, the taxes, and the inflation. You can't control that, right? And the unemployment, because we also don't control the economy. So when when governments decide that they want to impose certain policies, whether that be embargoes or whatever they're doing, you know, uh, whether it be humanitarian aid, because the money comes from someplace. It doesn't just fall out the sky. The taxpayers are on the hook for it. So no matter where uh, and what governments decide to do, the citizens and the taxpayers are always on the hook for government debt. So it's just very difficult for the underbanked, and especially the unbanked, to, to try to get by. And I'm just um, bringing across a couple of things that people may not be aware of, you know? So just to, I got bullet points because I don't want to lose my train of thought, but just to keep people in the loop as to why Certain people live the way they do, what's causing these conditions, and, uh, you know, last but not least, solutions. Because if there were solutions, then we need to be having a different conversation. But we have solutions. And I'm going to get to those, you know, before the end. I want to explain to you the whys and the whos and the wheres and what's going on. So... It makes it harder and harder for people to maintain and retain employment. So if you're unbanked and if you're trying to keep your, your business going, if you're trying to keep a job, right, and uh, you get paid a check and you go to the check cash and you only have a certain form of ID, once it doesn't take, like, for most people, to they're one paycheck away from being homeless. Like, their debt, their debt to loan ratio is so so far you know uh, across across the across the line of of equity so they're just losing money they got really no no choice but to try to make sure that they do everything they can everything that's in their power to uh make it to the next day to make it to the next check and that's not always easy so i just want to explain that it's different in different countries so in the united states where it is difficult but may not be nowhere near as difficult as, uh, let's say, uh, Uganda. Right? So you got to take things in perspective. I'm trying to generalize. So just people get a, a really good idea of how hard it is for people. You know, A lot of people, they, they fear also taxation. That's a really big fear when it comes to, to, the, to the underbanked right? and, to the, and to the unbanked. Because the little bit of income they do have, they don't really want to get taxed at the same rate that somebody is making three times the income because there's not equity across the um, taxation system, you know, not really based on incomes. There's, uh, of course, they have the poverty line, but most of these people are already below the poverty line in whatever country they're in. So a lot of, but they just don't make enough service, enough money that if there are social safety net services for them, again, in the, in the United States where social safety net services exist. And not that other countries doesn't, but it's not, don't take it for granted that they do everywhere, right? But when they make a certain amount of money, then they don't even qualify for the social safety nets. So they're in a really catch 
22 situation. So they're being unbanked and underbanked is extremely difficult to them, but it's just things that they have to deal with. Another thing that the underbanked don't like, and really probably nobody likes is ATM fees. The ATM fees eat away at their little bit of income. Not only ATM fees, they have, uh, you know, um, minimum limits as far as account balances. And if you don't have the minimum account balance, they turn around and charge you more money because you didn't have enough money for the minimum account balance. So let's charge you more money so that you can have access to your funds. And I understand the bank's reasoning behind the charging you the, the money for these services because it takes money to run them. You need programmers, coders, ATM machines. You need a lot of staff. You need a lot of uh, a lot of bookkeeping, right? You need a lot of accounting to keep track of all these uh, deposits, withdrawals, checks, all of the the all of the instruments that the bank deals with, right? So you need a lot of people working to make these services, you know, run pretty smoothly. So that's why they have the fees. But if you don't have the money for the fees, then you only have one of the choice become underbanked or become unbanked. You know, there's not too many choices left after that. So I'm going to bring up some uh, historical data. I'm streaming from Panama. I got my Panama shirt on, in case anybody's wondering where I'm streaming from. Um, I'm going to give you some historical data. So in 2017, the World Bank had reported that $1.7 billion with a capital B, 1.7 billion unbanked adults, meaning these individuals do not have an account institution or through mobile money providers, or that they remain unbanked individuals in developed countries. Most of the unbanked population lives within developing nations. So those are people, 1.7 billion unbanked adults in 2017. Imagine how many there are now after everything that's happened. The numbers are astronomical. They really don't even have numbers on that, but it's a, I would have to guess maybe 2.3 billion people unbanked right now. Adults, unbanked adults in developing nations. Now, out of this number, I want you to know that women account for most of the unbanked. Again, in 2017, about, this is the same data from 2017, 980 million women did not have a bank, did not have banking, and they make up 56% of all unbanked adults. Even in countries with a small percentage who've come back, they're still the same numbers. And that was in 2017. Again, imagine now, after all the things that have gone on in the world. Right? Also, they, they set back another example would say that in Kenya, only one fifth of adults are unbanked and two thirds of them are both women. I mean, two thirds of them are women in both India and China. The female accounts, the females account for close to 60% of females and the gap grows larger every day. And a lot of these women make less than $2 a day. 20% less than men than men make than men make in, in the same countries. And that's according to um excuse me, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in 2017. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of women 
and those are the 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 majority of these jobs, these super backbreaking jobs women are doing. They're getting up early in the morning, getting rice, getting flour, cooking outside in the heat, in the sun, right? Breathing in, depending if it's charcoal, you know, breathing in all that extra carbon. Uh, if they're cooking with gas, uh, if they're cook, you know, it depends what what they're doing. So they're, you know, just really working hard and in really extreme conditions, and they do this every day. So it would be it would be great if we could make this easier for the unbanked, if we can make this easier for the underbanked, and especially if we can make it easier for women, who are the number one group of people suffering in the whole banked and unbanked situations. You know, so getting back to the data, China and India, they have the largest unbanked populations. About 22, about 22.5 million adults in China did not have a bank account in 2017. The largest unbanked population in a single country is India which came in second with 190 million, followed by Pakistan with 100 million, Indonesia with 95 million unbanked people. And these four countries, along with Nigeria, Bangladesh, and Mexico, accounted for 50% of the world's unbanked population in 2017. Now, there's a lot more countries than what's being quoted in this, uh, in this report. There's a lot more people that are unbanked. And also, when you think about China, right now, China's having a really big problem. Uh, a lot of people aren't paying their mortgage because the Chinese government is having uh, what some people refer to as a, a bank run or a bank holiday where they're, they're not letting people withdraw their money. They're actually not giving a lot of people access to their money, period. The lines, the queues are days long to try to get uh, whatever amount of wand they want to issue out. And you don't have to take my word for it. Please uh, do your own research when it comes to all of this, right? Um, I'm giving you accurate information, but I would always advise that you check your information yourself. Be your own independent auditor, okay? So, but these, these facts are, are legit. So there's a lot of that going on in China. So there's even more unbanked people because there's more distrust of the CCP, the Communist Chinese, the Communist Chinese Party. So it's, it's really tough for a lot of people around the planet. Just don't take it for granted that because you have a bank account, that everybody else should and could have a bank account. There are a lot of people that don't have a bank account because their credit's bad. Right? Uh, there are a lot of people that don't have a bank account because uh, they're, they owe child support. They moved away without uh, without paying their rent or whatever reason it may be, but they're still working and they're still trying to generate income for themselves and their families, hopefully. So again, in 2017, the Global Fund survey found that without bank accounts, they choose not to open in most, the most common reasons they choose not to open Two-thirds of the respondents were citing that simply the lack of coming in. Second, 30% on, on those that said they do not need account, about 26% stated that the accounts are too expensive. 
and 26% also still stated that the accounts are not necessary because of what I mentioned earlier, that a family member already had an account. And, you know, there are other reasons, you know, they, they, they claim distance, documentation requirements, uh, trust issues and financial systems and religious concerns because a lot of currencies are haram. So if you're a, if you're a Muslim and you live in a Muslim nation, if Muslims don't charge in, interest. So if, you, if your money has debt attached to it, it has war and blood attached to it, the money is not really halal. Well, it's which is that. Excuse me for if I don't get this right, which is more like uh, blessed or holy uh, currency or halal, which is not good. Right. So, so a lot of uh, a lot of Muslim countries don't want to deal with the international monetary fund. You see what's happening with Sri Lanka, uh, India is having its problems as well. Pakistan is having its problems as well. Uh, you see what's happening in Argentina, uh, Brazil. Right, so there's so many countries that uh, are having economic problems and look into the IMF to give them a loan, but the, the loans enslave the nation. So now a lot of countries are looking to an alternative, which is China. And uh, China, they play hardball. You know, the United States, they, they dominate the world with, with military might and bases all over the world. And China... They're starting to dominate the world with loans, loans to nations for infrastructure, for machinery, for building, for development. I mean, you name it, China's, they got a different game plan. They're not trying to conquer the world by aggression. They're trying to enslave it with debt. So there's a, a catch-22 with everything. So I'm just uh, trying to point things out so people really understand how the world in and of itself works and, and why certain things work the way they do. So providing banking services and to actually lift people out of poverty, the World Bank President Robert B. Zolik said that some financial services to up to the 2.5 billion people who are unbanked could boost economic growth opportunities for the world is impoverished. He also stated that the harnessing of the power of the financial services can really help the people paying for schooling, uh, start a whole small business that can provide jobs, not only for themselves, but for other people in the community. And research shows that the more impoverished the people are, uh, the more they plan on working harder to get out of poverty. So they're not lazy, they're just working hard, but they're just working in a circle because there's so many systems working against them. And that's a, that's a tough position to be in. They also decided that in 2017, that blockchain technology was a viable solution to these problems. And this is the one of the reasons that the, the Gates Foundation, it's a nonprofit organization that fights poverty, disease, and inequity around the world. It's uh, founded by Bill and Melinda Gates. Blockchain 420, we have the High Love Foundation. We do the same type of charitable works with the difference. See, Blockchain 420, we created our own, our own proprietary POS system so that the people who are around the globe can get security, 
and prosperity for themselves. It's a strategy to promote and develop in the development of digital payment systems, which will allow for digital mobile access, Web3, to financial services without affecting people in a negative way. So that's what Blockchain 420 does. Now, with, with, with our BC 420 pay system, we're going to allow people to participate in financial systems without having an actual bank account. And that's going to be a huge game changer for a lot of people in a lot of emerging nations. This will also allow for more women to have access to financial services, advancing gender equality, um, which is important because a lot of women, they're tired of, depending on what society you live in. Hello, awesome. Thank you, Des. There are a lot of women that are tired of depending on men for their subsistence. And they make money. But in most countries, uh, underdeveloped nations, you see that a family works together as a unit. And the woman gives most of the man her money, so their children, so that they can just get by. But women are smart. And they always can, you know, sock away a little bit. Wouldn't it be great if they had a, a way to earn interest on that and make some money and have a, a, a bigger sense of self-worth and pride because they're participating more they're generating more, they're contributing more, and they're independent, you know? They don't have to depend on somebody else. That's a huge thing uh, for people to just lift up their spirits and include them, right? So we're all about inclusion with Blockchain 420. We don't we don't like the, the separate systems that have been in place, and that's what we came to do to disrupt them. So I'm just giving you highlights of some data that I collected and some notes that I made for myself, and... I'm trying to break it down to you in, in, in layman's terms because uh, I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it simple, but I want to keep the data accurate. So I got it sort of written down. And Blockchain 420 with the High Love Foundation is creating and deploying mobile money platforms in developing countries. So we're going to increase financial inclusion for the unbanked. You may find our applications on the Google Play Store as well as the Apple app store so our apps are free you can find our apps on the google play store and the apple play store now there is a subscription fee for bc 420 pay um there's a subscription fee that we charge in fiat and there's also a subscription fee that we charge in tlcc you can choose your level of subscription and method of payment uh once you decide to use the pos system Right, BC 420 pay. And again, uh, this is not financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. I'm just telling you what the situations are across the globe, uh, what the problems are, and how Blockchain 420 has created solutions to help solve these problems on a global scale. Now, also, I want to take you back to the worst days of COVID-19. You know, they weren't too far, too far, too, I mean, too long ago, right? They weren't too long ago. So it's not very far away in your memory. You know, I still remember coming off the plane with my wife and and we got tested at the airport and my daughter and my wife tested positive and they took them out of the airport through the runway, like like the president had landed because they didn't want them to affect the, the, the other people in the 
airport. So it was a scary time. It was scary to get COVID-19. I remember we all got the Delta variant at the time. But uh, thank God we all made it. You know, with, without uh, too many lingering side effects as far as I can tell. My family seems to be a-okay. <coughs> Excuse me. So in the worst days when people around the world were out of work and struggling to pay for food and housing, many national governments, excuse me one second. <coughs> excuse me. Many national governments came to the same conclusion that the best way to offer immediate help was to send people cash. Stimulus. <coughs> you know, um, that was their solution. We're going to send people stimulus, right? So more than 200 countries introduced emergency crash cash transfer programs or expanded existing ones. In India, for example, they transferred money to 300 million people, 200 million of which were women in the first weeks <coughs> after its lockdown. Brazil reached 70 million people with emergency transfers. This sounds great, but what about the unbanked? What about the underbanked? They didn't receive anything. And they are at significantly higher risk of poverty, of food insecurity, of becoming unhoused than, the other, than any other group. So for them, that was horrible. They didn't get anything. They didn't get any services whatsoever. Now, as far as on the government side, you got to remember that the governments and the politicians, they want to, and the scientists, because they can't leave science out, they wanted to mitigate risk. So they were making these payments, they, they had weighed out making these payments with paper money during a pandemic. And they, told, they chose digital payments because they understood that paper currency can carry disease. You know, it can, it can also carry biological warfare agents. We've all witnessed some women carry currency in their bras, right? And men carrying currency in their underwear, exposed to their genitalia, some of which are carrying sexually transmitted diseases. Excuse me. <clears throat> so they didn't really want to try to have pickup pick up centers where people could sort of pick up cash that's being distributed from the central banks to the people directly because <laughs> that would have only exasperated the pandemic a lot more. So they said, you know what? We're going to start using digital payments. The, the thing is they never used these digital payments before. And one of the main reasons that um, governments do not like cryptocurrency is because they cannot participate. So you got to think about what the swift banking system is. It's an enclosed system and uh, it's ancient. It's like uh, Maxwell Smart, that's an old guy on TV. I think it was black and white, talking through a shoe phone. He was a spy <laughs> talking through a shoe phone to somebody with a Galaxy folding phone right now. The message is not going to get through. They're not compatible. The, the technologies are not compatible. So countries cannot. Uh, participate in a blockchain, right? And then they don't want to. They're perfectly content with mismanagement and misappropriation of funds and hidden 
transactions that nobody sees that fund uh, what they, lack of a better term, black projects and other unscrupulous things that there's no accountability for, you know? And that's not picking on any one government in particular. It's a statement for all of them. All of them, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, I told you, I'm, one of my favorite things is etymology and the root words of government and mind control. So they just control your mind and thinking that they know better, that you can't, you know, sustain yourself, that you can't participate in their system unless they can absolutely track you and corral you into their cities and tax you and basically turn you into their death slaves. So we want the world to change, right? And for the world to change, there has to be inclusion. To change the world is going to take a lot of money. It's not just going to happen because of pretty words and nice theories. It takes it takes action. So blockchain 420 created BC 420 pay because we're part of the action. We're part of the disruption. We put our money behind it. We put our, our engineering behind it. We put our brains behind it. So we're here to help change the world. And this is just one of the many ways we're going to do it. So I'm going to get back to this little bit of script that got left. <laughs> so, you know, they, they knew that trying to exchange this money hand-to-hand was going to be catastrophic. So globally, transferring so much money without cash was possible thanks to more than a few to more than a few uh, companies that have been working for at least a decade of painstaking work from developers like Blockchain 420 Inc. and a few governments and financial service providers some nonprofits and other partners working independently, but together for an industry to bring some change because a lot of people are compassionate and see that you have to include everybody into the global system because they live on our planet, they share our planet with us. And it shouldn't be harder for them because the rules make it harder. So we have to make the rules more equitable for everybody. And although, you know, a lot of this seems like good news, as far as governments go, they still have a very long way to go before they can uh, participate in blockchain technology. So now is the time for us to help these people because they don't have the time to wait on what their governments are gonna do, what their banking institutions locally are gonna do, what regulators are gonna do and lawmakers are gonna do to try to make their lives easier because they know up to date, haven't done too much to make their lives easier. So we're gonna provide the education and the services to make their lives easier. So that's pretty much the end of my stream. I don't wanna, uh, I don't wanna dwell on this too much because tomorrow I'm gonna speak about a different topic. Britain is going to change the 20 pound note and the 50 pound note. They're going to go from the paper currency that they have with the stamps of the figures that they have on the currency to a, a, a note that's, I think it's nylon. I'm not really sure exactly. I have to check my notes, but it's a different type of note that is more resilient, is much harder to counterfeit, and it's the 20 and the 50. And it sounds like a great idea, but tomorrow I'm gonna to explain to you why that's horrible and what it's gonna to do to millions of people in Great Britain. 
right, so stay tuned. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, you all have a blessed evening, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you.